Jackie Tan and welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. On the show, we chat with experts, athletes, coaches and authors to educate and inspire you. We explore the body's incredible ability to heal, adapt and evolve so you can crush limitations, reconnect your body and mind and discover your extraordinary potential. On today's episode, I chat with South Australian Police Officer Sam Sparvell. Now, Sam is a client of mine and you'll find out how that came to be in this interview, but let's just say there was a fall and the concrete one. But since having Sam as a client and hearing his stories, which again you'll hear in this interview, it became very clear that Sam, even though he has dealt with some pretty horrific events, his approach to his body, mind, health and wellness and life in general is that of a pretty switched on and balanced guy. So much so that I was actually a little shocked to find out how young he was or is at the very tender age of 28. He speaks from such a wise and worldly place And I've just learned so much from him just from chatting during our treatments. And I know you'll learn a lot from him as well, whether whether you're someone dealing with chronic pain or recovering from injury, whether you're trying to navigate shift work or some hard events in your life. Sam gives us some really great tools on how to manage our physical, mental and emotional health, no matter what line of work you're in. So, enjoy this episode with Sam Sparvell. Sam Sparvell, thank you so much for chatting with me on the Bodies Built Better podcast today. I um, I really want to get straight into this because I'm excited to chat with you because I feel like it takes a very special person to want to put their life at risk for the sake of others. So. Can you tell me what was your motivation to join SA Police? Right on, sure thing. And uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, Jackie. I feel uh, I feel really privileged and honoured to be on the show amongst some of these amazing guests you've had on board. So, yeah, I'm pumped to be on here. So, uh, anyway, back to your question. So, why did I join SAPOL? I guess what what drove me to join SAPOL? I think um, everyone's motivations. Uh, are shaped by the experiences that they've had in their life. Um, I was very privileged to grow up on the South Coast. Um, we had a, I had a very strong sense of community growing up and a very positive relationship with police from a very young age. I remember Policeman Bob was his name. He'd come to the kindergarten and uh, talk to us about road safety and all those sorts of things. And even as I grew up as a kid and a teenager, um, really positive relationship. And I had a, a very... Uh, I guess I'm very lucky it was a very safe place to grow up. So I guess this sense of community um, played a role already at a young age before I even realised into my uh, reasons for joining SAPOL. Um, There's a quote by uh, Winston Churchill that I found um, pretty relevant. A few years ago, I came across this um, into my like policing and, and, and why I became a police officer. He says that all the great things are simple, and many can be expressed in a single word, freedom, justice, honor, 
duty, mercy, and hope. And I guess I thought, what other role can I kind of experience all these amazing and great things? Um, and I've been, I've been pretty lucky to be able to experience all of those uh, in SAPOL. Um, but as well as I'm completely honest, Jackie, I really wanted to be like Batman. And, uh, <laughs> where, like, this is probably as close as I'm going to get. I'm not a billionaire, not by a long shot, but uh, I mean, I get to do some pretty Batman-like things. So uh, That's uh, awesome. So, so, yeah, so being a police officer, it started from a very young age, really. Uh, I didn't realise until the opportunity came up. Um, obviously very heavily involved in school sports, uh, well, sports full stop, very involved in my football, um, fell into bodybuilding at a young age as well. So I was always a part of a team. Like I said, um, motivations uh, are shaped by the experiences that we have. So I found myself there. So let's talk about more of that, um, that physical side of things and the training involved um, in becoming a police officer. What sure. is the, the physical side of it, the fitness side of it, and how do you prepare for that um, physically and mentally? Yeah, great question. Um, so the physical standards have changed since uh, I went through the police academy. Um, in all honesty, I was already in, in uh, pretty good physical shape leading into the um, leading into the entry, but I don't think uh, I had fully appreciated how much was required between the years um, at that point. So. Uh, for anyone listening anyway and is curious about the physical um, side of things, we had to get a beep test score of about, I think it was uh, 10 on the beep test score. I had to do a number of push-ups and sit-ups. Um, it was nothing, nothing out of this world. Um, we also had to do an obstacle course at the, at the academy. That was great fun. Really felt like you were a part of uh, something bigger than you, I guess. You know, you're dragging a... Uh, a tired dummy 50 meters and then you're running and people are yelling at you. It's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. It was kind of cool. Um, so physically you have to have a, probably a, I would suggest an above standard level of fitness. Um, there were times during the Academy where we just got absolutely slammed by the PTs. Um, lots of, I mean, lots of physical training at the Academy itself as well. I can't speak for, what the standards are now, but when I went through it, it was it was hard yakka, but completely achievable to anyone who would put their mind to their training and get it done. In regards to mentally, what I did to prepare, uh, and I'm completely honest with you, uh, absolutely nothing. I didn't know what to expect. It's funny. I remember pulling into the car park of the uh, Largs Academy and sitting in my car on the first day, thinking, "What on earth have I got myself into?" Like, is this going to be like boot camp in the army? Am I just going to get yelled at for seven months straight? Uh, yeah, I really had no idea. I'd only known uh, a single police officer closely and he didn't really give me too much. I think he did that on purpose, to be completely honest. And so when you did go through it, were there those mental challenges that arose? Uh, at the academy, yes and no, I guess. Not the, uh, not the challenges I was expecting. There were different challenges. Um, honestly, the first time we, uh, we had to do a morgue visit. Um, so that was, I'd never seen, a, a, you know, a, a body before. So that came as, a, that was pretty confronting. I remember the, the first body I saw um, was a dead ringer, for, well, mind the pun, uh, was a dead <laughs> ringer for, for my dad. 
and I who's still with us. Um, but I just remember seeing this 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 guy that just looked just like my dad, and it was it was kind of shocking. But um, I look back now, and all of those kind of experiences were there to prepare us for when we eventually make our way out on the road. So they did they did uh, they did stuff to help us prepare mentally, but there's nothing that can prepare you for um, the real world. Yeah, yeah, think. that's right. And we'll get into that a bit more. Um, but before we do, the reason I came to know you was from uh, a very good mutual friend who I recently had on the podcast, Matt Jones. Um, you suffered a spinal injury shortly after graduating, yep. um, which resulted in a, a lumbar disectomy. After that, yep. Um, what happened? What yeah. did you go through? Yeah. And, uh, and then tell us about the physical pain and, and limitations and everything that went with it. Right on. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, shortly after graduating, um, I found myself on a roof of an abandoned library. Um, people have been trying to burn it down. So, long story short, I'm on the roof of a, an abandoned library and I made the quickest way I could possibly make off of the roof. Um, and uh one we wouldn't recommend huh <laughs> highly highly would uh, avoid recommend avoiding yeah throwing yourself from a roof but um i think it was more the landing than the fall uh it was kind of unexpected so i'm know. sorry let's just rewind a second so you actually chose to jump off a roof or oh, did no, you no, fall no. off a roof <laughs> let's yeah, clear that up there's a there's a great scene in the movie The Other Guys. If no one's seen that, they'll, if someone's seen this and watching, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, where the, the Rock Johnson, uh, the Rock Johnson and uh, Samuel L. Jackson throw themselves off a roof, but nowhere near as impressive as that. No, I uh, combination of uh, underestimating the the strength of a roof uh, and yeah, distance. So yeah, I fell down. Um, I landed really rigid. And it wasn't... On your feet? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's probably the worst. If I'd landed on my... Anywhere else. Probably even my head. I'd rather fall on my head. Um, but yeah, it felt like this this hot pain just shoot up my legs. And in all honesty, in the first, uh, you know, day or two post that, it wasn't, it wasn't horrible. Like I didn't... I wasn't incapacitated by the injury. Um, it was, it was progressive and it was progressively just getting terrible. Um, it's really given me an appreciation of, of, uh, like a level of pain now though to, you know, I'm so grateful every day. Um, but so yeah, injured my back, went down to Adelaide, um, got put onto the International Spinal Center, um, and an amazing neurosurgeon called Dr. Yao, um, yeah, just an amazing man. Um, and obviously, yeah, had surgery on my back. Um, I'm probably fast-forwarding too much here. The, uh, there was a period of time of about two or three months um, from my injury to when I had the surgery. And uh, those two or three months has, have completely changed my life, um, living in just constant pain beyond comprehension. I, I can't even describe the pain I was in. So obviously I wasn't working. Um, I remember one day going down to my local Coles um, just to get some groceries and I couldn't physically pick up a, a bag of groceries that I'd just taken to the checkout because I was having this terrible nerve pain. 
And uh, I remember the checkout lady just looking at me and I'm just in tears. I was just in so much pain. I, I couldn't walk. I couldn't lift a bag of shopping. And um, I still see her and she always says g'day and how you going? So, but anyway, um, just a really down, dark place. You know, my whole life, 20, what was it, 22 years of my life, I'd been so active and um, I'd identified as being a fit person. You know, my identity was in the fact that I was involved in bodybuilding. That was who I was. Um, and that was taken away from me. And it was, it was pretty hard to deal with. It was really hard to deal with. I, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a really hard time physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, terrible, terrible. But uh, like I said, obviously, I, I got linked up to, to Dr. Yao. Um, and he worked what was the timeline me. of that? So injury was uh, in December 2014 and I had the surgery in March. Um, and in between that time, I had the uh, um, cortisol injection into my spine. And that was horrible. My goodness. That, yeah, that was horrible. Uh, but uh, fast forward, the surgery was a, a total success. And I remember waking up post-surgery and being in absolutely zero pain, like zero pain. And the nurse coming with some endone for me, which had been, you know, short of being reliant on opioids, like it, drugs like drugs like Panadol and Panadine Fort and things like that. That was the only thing getting me out of bed prior to the surgery. I just, I was an absolute mess. But uh, immediately post-surgery and uh, turning down the endone from the nurse because I wasn't in pain and, the, the pain associated with surgery didn't even compare to the pain associated with the injury. Um, so yeah, super grateful. Dr. Yao did his work. And then I got to meet, as you said, the guru himself, the master, uh, someone who I'm very lucky to call a, a close friend um, and a mentor, Matt Jones, obviously. So he, uh, he started my rehab. And again, I think, uh, from losing this identity from being this super fit and active dude to being an injured kind of useless worm, I felt like um, meeting Matt was just, um, yeah, life-changing. So we started our rehab, um, went from there. What did that look like? It was intensive. Um, I was really lucky to be, it was a work cover injury, so I could take my time to return to work and, and there was much rehabilitation as I needed with Matt. So we took, I think it was eight months, four, three or four times a week um, doing rehab with Matt. And it started the first few weeks were um, solely learning how to breathe again using the diaphragm. Uh, and I remember just sitting in his office, just practicing breathing for 30 minutes with him every day and slowly built up to... Uh, as you would know, speaking with Matt and for the listeners, if you haven't listened to that podcast with Matt, go to listen to it. Such an amazing dude and a great podcast, but um, a, a strong focus on uh, rehabilitation through strength and conditioning, uh, which really resonated with me. I love lifting weights. I love being active and the idea of lying down on a couch, which for seemingly a long time had been the recommended advice for post spinal surgery, but Matt had me doing a deadlifts with a piece of string tied to my finger and a pencil uh, to begin with. So just a pencil, 
are tied to my to a piece of string and then we built up to like a couple of little tiny weight plates like i'm talking 100 grams tied on my pinky fingers um and uh, so what goes through your mind as a bodybuilder when you're told firstly you need to practice your breathing mm. and then secondly you've got a pencil attached to a piece of string. What goes right. through your mind? Right on. Yeah. Uh, look, honestly, um, the injury, probably more so than like the mental side of things, injury, it really humbled me. Uh, when I came out of the surgery and was able to go to the bathroom without help or just walk or do anything, I'm so grateful. So anything from that point onwards in life, I'm so grateful for, to be honest, this, this second lease of life. I, I was so grateful for it. So whilst it was, it was challenging and I felt stupid, I felt like I was strong enough to pull a 200 kilo deadlift, but, um, I trusted Matt, I trusted him. I trusted in the process and I'm so grateful that I did. I honestly, though, it's what year we're 2020. So it's five years since I had the surgery and the rehab and I would say that I am in uh, like structurally in the best shape of, of my life without a doubt. And I still, and I still do all the, uh, the training that Matt has given me from back then, uh, the stretches, the waking up and hydrating the spine, um, which is super relevant. I had a friend who's a sparky here only recently we rolled out of bed to, get his phone charger and slip the disc, just getting his phone charger out of his bed. So I guess, and I'm sure it's probably a question coming down the track. Like how is it, um, how's it changed who I am now? Like I'm just really aware, hyper aware of everything that I do, all my movements. So important. Mm. Super important. So let's, um, let's get into the work that you do. Right on. Um, what type of work do you do for Sapol? Cool. So uh, I started off as just as doing general duties um, and I worked in some rural postings, which was excellent. So growing up on the South Coast, it's kind of small. I think there was only 10,000 people when I was living there. So I worked in like the equivalent places up north, um, Biala and around there, around those places. So I started off down there. I did a number of years there. Did a couple of city postings. And then I took the jump and went to the APY lands, which was, which is incredible. It was, I really appreciated the chance to see some of the most remote locations in Australia and, um, and be exposed to like the amazing culture up there. That's, it's still just so strong and, and, and yeah, it's incredible. Eye opening. Nothing I've seen anywhere has come close to it. Uh, the, the the deep connection with the land and the art. It was, I feel really privileged and honoured to have got to go up there and work alongside and, and with them, uh, with the local communities up there. So really awesome spot up there. Since then, I've come back to the city um, where I now work at the Joint Anti-Child Exploitation Team, which is a, a national, but it's kind of an international task force, which as the name would suggest, is to uh, save kids, basically. And so I work as a digital evidence officer there. My role, think about crime scene dealing with tangible evidence. 
a digital evidence officer deals with the digital side of things much the same as a crime scene officer would. So my role is to present evidence to the court um, to prove an offence or otherwise. So yeah, that's where I work at the moment. Has there ever been a, a point in your career that's given you a reality check? Yeah, Roger that. Uh, yes. <laughs> By the sounds of it, more than one. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I'm sure, as any police officer will will say, like it's a it's a pretty crazy job. We're really lucky uh, to to do what we do, um, but there's some pretty crazy moments in there. Uh, one one story sticks out for this question, and when I was getting interviewed to become a police officer, we were asked, how would you deal with a certain situation? And the situation that they presented was, you were at a, a car crash and there's multiple fatalities and, you know, you you have to look around for, for body parts um, because it's been a car crash and that's our job. We've got to, we've got to deal with that. And I remember fresh-faced me back then saying, yeah, well, it's part of the job and I'll just, I'll just deal with it. And I think it was 13 days after I graduated the police academy, I was sent on my own because for whatever reason, um, sent on my own out to a double fatal car crash where there were th- actually three people at the time still, uh, still with us. And, uh, that was confronting like 14 days kind of just talk about thrown into the deep end and um absolute tragedy absolute tragedy um but i guess what i learned then i remember calling my dad who um he's just the best man on the earth as far as i'm concerned uh, i love him a bit he i called my dad on the way back from the scene because i was there for about 16 hours and I felt a little bit numb, like trying to process what I'd just seen. And uh, and we spoke about ways of like coping with with trauma. And it's something that a conversation that resonates with me every single day with the trauma I see at work, um, and in other times during my career when I've dealt with trauma. And that is for me. And it might not work for everyone. And I'm not a psychologist by any means, but I've seen tragedy a number of times. Um, and it's it's helped me remain level-headed, and and basically the strategy is to see whatever's been seen, see it as an event, and remove all emotional connection um, with that event. You know, it's happened, yep, and it's it's just it's just work. It's happened. We're not we're not pretending it hasn't happened. It's happened, but I just remove all emotional kind of attachment to it. Uh, and that's not to be like heartless. Like I'm not heartless by any means. You know, I'm I'm a lover. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. Despite being obviously heavily into my jujitsu. Uh, um, but yeah, so for me, that's the way I've been able to to cope with. Uh, well, one of the ways that I've been able to cope with with trauma um, in the workplace. Uh, I think another thing as well is um, just developing a sense of self awareness. Um, and able to uh, being able to identify like internal or external factors that are throwing me off a bit, just being self-aware of how I'm feeling and why I'm feeling that way. Uh, that's, that's been really important in kind of um, balancing the crazy stuff that we see and do. 
that that actually goes into well you've probably answered most of this next question and that is how do you stay level-headed um when you do see the awful stuff so you said <clears throat> that you take it as an event um and you also mentioned that you know before chatting with your dad you felt numb mm. after that chat were you still numb like how does that process um take shape within you know the body and the mind mm. yeah what, what's that process honestly the fir that first um that first event i remember just going home and thinking I was just shocked at, and I, like I said, I was only 14 days out of the academy, so I've, I've learned a lot since then, but just shocked at um, the human's ability to be uh, evil, I guess. Uh, so that incident, without giving any details away, it was, it was intentional. Um, so it was actually a murder, that collision. Um, so... It took me probably the, the night. I, I felt a lot better after I, I was able to process the fact that, yeah, it happened. It's an event. We dealt with it. Let's move forward. But I did struggle with um, the thought of someone could do something like that. But I also recognised that it's something that I needed to, to be able to, to deal with. Um, it, it also, it really lines up with my passion for, for health and fitness and training as well. For me, as well as having the strategy to, to see something as an event and then remove all emotional connection with it and carry on, that's probably only one part of it. There's a huge amount of other roles in dealing with, with trauma. Um, excuse me, with especially the trauma that, you know, that I deal with regularly. So obviously exercise. Exercise is a huge one for me. Uh, well, back then it was just my bodybuilding and I'd be in the gym. Just You're unable to to focus on anything else when you're in the gym or you shouldn't be anyway. Um, so that's all I found that as always a really great coping mechanism. I don't really want to bring like what I was dealing with back home either. So it's not something that I would, you know, necessarily want to tell my wife or my partner. Um, but having people to talk to about it. So my brothers and sisters and, and, and the, uh, in the police, like being able to talk to, to them about what we've seen, that always helps. Um, and more recently for me in the last couple of years has been my, my jujitsu. Because if you're thinking about anything other than not getting choked, then you're getting choked. <laughs> getting your arm broken or something. So, uh, yeah, it's not about avoiding the trauma. It's just about finding ways to... Uh, to, to deal with it best in yourself. And for me, I find, yeah, um, seeing these horrible things just as events. And it, it's, unless someone's in a situation where they have to do that, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to grasp or even to put into words. But yeah, that, that has been a real lifesaver for me. So then how, so obviously your BJJ, mm. um, your, your fitness stuff, those are all outlets for you. How often are you practicing all of that? I mean, I exercise every single day at the moment, other than Sunday. Um, actually, no, that's not true. I've been training Sundays with, <laughs> with Matt. Uh, uh, yeah, um, but it's, I don't see it as training and 
and I, I guess, full 360 back to my spinal injury, I'm grateful to, I don't look at it as a chore to be to have to go for a run or to go to gym or to uh, go to jujitsu. I'm just grateful. You know, I'm grateful for everything um, uh, that I'm able to do. So for me, while I train every day, a lot of it's quite social for me. Um, ISO health that Matt runs, it's, it's not just a gym, it's a family. The environment there is, it's hard to, it's hard to put in words, honestly. You know, it's a home away from home and everyone's just so positive and uplifting. Um, and I probably failed to mention as well, when I was doing my, my rehab with Matt, he has a, a strengthening conditioning facility attached to the ISO health facility. So I'd go there to do my deadlifts once I was getting stronger and more able to actually lift some real weights that weren't attached to strings <laughs> on my finger. And I would, I would be in there and I'd do my deadlifts and there would be jujitsu classes happening. And Matt, as, as you all know, uh, broke his neck and he's doing, he's a black belt in jujitsu and he's just a, obviously I'm a huge fan. He's a guru. <laughs> so I thought if he can do that, like surely I can do it. And for me, that was a, that was what initially drove me to do it. Uh, was seeing what a great environment was there. These people who didn't know me, um would always say hello when i'd arrive to do my deadlifts and just super friendly and it was always full of laughter and then when it was time to train it was yeah eyes on the prize which yeah, it was really motivating so do yeah you I think, do you think you took your body and your um strength health and fitness for granted pre-spinal injury for sure absolutely um I always took a more scientific approach, I guess, to my training. I wasn't really into the bro sciences. Um, one thing that actually got me, put me onto this path in the first place was a gym that I was training at in Victor Harbour. So it was just a tiny little gym. And the CEO of Gentech Nutrition, a guy called Nick Jones, I don't know how he ended up there, but he came down and ran a seminar and... Um, I remember him pointing at me after I asked the question and he said, oh, you know, you've got a great structure, great body structure to be an excellent bodybuilder. Um, so he kind of put me on this, this path and this passion in the first place um, to kind of take my training a bit more seriously. So I'm, I'm really grateful for Nick. Like he's got no idea who I'd be and he's just such an amazing dude. And I'm, uh, I've forever been a, a client of Gentech since then. So, Shout out Nick Jones if you ever watch this, man. Thank you. Um, but I guess I always took a more educated approach to my training after meeting him and um, him stressing the importance of taking care. But even still, uh, I definitely lifted with ego up until my injury. For sure, you know, like always pushing myself to lift heavier, even if it was at the slight sacrifice of, of technique and that couldn't be more polarizing from how I am now. Yeah. I if I could give one piece of advice to eighteen year old me lifting weights, it would be take care of your whole body. You know, I seeing seeing the guru that is you, uh <laughs> I um I'm a client of B three and have been for a, a long time now. 
you know, I wish I told 18-year-old Sam, maybe you should stretch after a game of football or maybe you should take some sort of care outside of lifting weights because I honestly didn't and, you know, I felt I really jacked my body up and then obviously had the injury. So since then I've taken a kind of a wholesome approach to my training uh, and it involves everything. It encompasses yeah, uh, mentality mindfulness uh, mindfulness is in everything it's in my work it's in my training or it's when i'm doing my yoga uh it's all just super important now so it totally is and um you know it goes back to what you said that you know you're so grateful for every moment that you can go out and do something because you can and it's not until you know those abilities get taken away from you yeah. and you can't do something and that's been evident, especially this year in 2020 with the coronavirus and, you know, people are locked down and can't go out and go to the gym or go running. And it really messes with us mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. And so not that we have any control over a global pandemic, but, you know, we've certainly got control over, you know, that technique in the gym and Mm -hmm. pushing ourselves and not to say don't push yourself because I do believe there's only you know, you can only find out your limits when you, when you get to them and, and go past them safely. Mm. Um, so it's a really important message to, um, yeah, don't take your body for granted. No, control is a really great word you mentioned there. And, um, that was something that helped with my rehab a lot was knowing what I could control. I can't control the fact I can't go for a run right now because I've just had my spine cut open, but, being able to control what I put in my mouth, uh, you know, like something as simple as that, like feeling power, um, that really helped me. Well, one of the things that really helped me through, uh, through the whole thing. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Now shift work. <laughs> it's a part of the job. So how do you manage that? And, mm trying to find if it ever exists uh, work-life balance right on roger that uh look probably uh this this answer starts back at the academy and i did not get taught no offense to the academy how to deal with night shift i'd never done a night shift in my life i think up until that point i'd probably only stayed up till like 2 or 3 a.m i wasn't much of a late kind of guy like i not into that so, man, it was, it's challenging. It's unique. It presents so many unique challenges that uh, Monday to Friday, nine to fivers, I guess, don't, uh, don't come across. They come across their own challenges, but with shift work, you've got social isolation. You've got, well, sometimes you don't see the sun for like a week at a time, which obviously you're going to become deficient in vitamin D and go a bit cuckoo. There's, there's, a, there's a huge amount of strange, strange things. It's early mornings, it's late nights, it's not seeing your loved ones or your friends. Uh, it, can be, it can be really challenging. But I think, I think if you employ a few strategies, um, I don't think there's a blanket rule that works for everyone. I think everyone works differently. But I think if there's a few strategies that everyone includes in their shift work life, it can become more sustainable uh so specifically come on night shift night shift is when 
and I, you know, I'd see my colleagues just getting junk food on a night shift and coffees at 4am and it's really easy to kind of, to do that. Uh, so being prepared um, will help with the, the negative side effects of shift work. So having your food prepared. I think also uh, little things like just catching as much vitamin D as you can on night shift. It sounds so simple, but I know that personally, I didn't do it for the first couple of years. I'd get home, the sun would just be rising. I'd go to sleep. I'd wake up and the sun would be setting. So just trying to kind of catch as many rays as you can, get home, go for a walk around the block. It'll also help you decompress from the night shift. And, you know, night shift's typically pretty crazy. So it's nice to kind of, uh, yeah, decompress. Um, yeah, look, is it possible to have a balance? Totally. Yeah, totally it is. You've just got to make it work for you. Um, don't put pressure on yourselves. People put pressure on themselves to get their eight hours sleep and after four that they, and they're awake and then they're mad and they're laying in bed stirring. Just get up, just get up, get your sleep in later. You know, just get up, go get some sun, go for a walk, go back to sleep. I just think it's being in tune with your body, but also having its, its best intentions in mind. Um, and would you believe I suggest exercising <laughs> regularly? Every day, if possible, uh, good for the mind. Decompress. That's a key word there. I think it's a key word for dealing with uh, with shift work. Is I mean, I know you said it's very individual, mm. um, but would you exercise before a shift, after a shift, both? Yeah, um, that's a good question. It would depend on the shift and depend on the person. Again. Uh, this week I've been trialing getting up at 4am to, to go running before day shift. And that's been hard. It's presented its own challenges. It means getting less sleep, but then I get home and I have a nap. Um, I'm big on just accruing that sleep. I don't know what science there is behind that, but as long as I'm getting that sleep in the day, I, I generally feel okay. But as a rule of thumb, um, for any of my clients I've had or, or colleagues that have asked for advice, just, just see what works for you. But um, you know, trial and error, but get it done. Get it done, even if it's just a walk. Like we got time at the at work at uh, at the moment. If the elevator isn't on my level when I go out there to catch it, because you know you got a little display screen. If it's not on my level, then I'm taking the stairs, uh, and I make that rule for myself. And it's nothing, but it's an easy way to get like your ten thousand steps in a day. And um, I guess what well, the point I'm trying to make is, it's really easy to get sedentary. Um, in this kind of work and shift work, whether it's SAPOL or any other, um, any other emergency service, like you want to avoid that sedentary lifestyle. Um, get yourself a stand-up desk if you can. I'm fortunate enough to have one. I never sit. I'm on an exercise ball right now. Like sitting on a chair is just something that kind of gives me a bit of PTSD from my injury days. Uh, so I think that's really important. Awesome. What, uh, what is the most rewarding thing about what you do? Yeah, that's a great question as well. And really they're innumerable. There's so many, there's so many times where I've, I've just been so grateful for, uh, for what I do. But uh, in all honesty, it's the role I'm in at the moment um, and saving kids. There's, there's nothing else in the world, I think, that is more important. And I'm... Uh, I guess I'm really grateful for that. And then there's, 
um, well, not lesser important than that, but uh, different to that as well. It's just having positive interactions with, with the community. Like I said, I grew up with such a positive, safe environment where the police were just, um, were just lovely and I was really privileged to grow up down there. Uh, so just having positive interactions with, with the community, that it's as simple as that, like a little kid waving or, or me getting to put someone in the police car because they, they want to do that. It, those little moments make it all worthwhile. They really do. I know it sounds cheesy, but like I, I love that. I love seeing people happy. Um, I love saving people. Uh, yeah, I'm Batman. I want to be Batman. <laughs> I'm, I'm on my way. One day, I'm gonna I'm gonna come to my next appointment at B3 wearing a full bat suit. Oh, please do. <laughs> we'll get a photo. <laughs> <laughs> um, now you have a, an Instagram page that um, that is all about shift work and how to manage best ways to manage that is that right Roger that yeah so I've just started a uh, um, a business or a hobby I guess you could say where I just want to um, help shift workers lead their best life possible um, one thing I noticed out there with a lot of these health and wellness guides it talks about getting up with the crack of dawn and getting your exercise in then before the world's awake but sometimes for a start of shift you've got to be up at 4am and I don't really think it's reasonable to get up at 2 a.m. to go on exercise. It might work for you. It doesn't work for me. So guess this kind of blanket rule that seemed to apply to fitness and health um, doesn't necessarily apply to, to shift workers in a lot of ways. So um, I'm, in, I'm starting to create a space that can give some tips and tricks and help people out to lead a better life, a happier life. Amazing. And that is at onthepath.aus. That's the one. Roger that. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Sam, this has been an awesome chat. Um, to, to finish off, what is your advice for anyone wanting to join SAPOL and, and um, how to manage that, the, the, maybe the stresses of shift work and, and also the type of work that you're exposed to. Right on. Awesome question as well. Okay. Um, from the top. Well, okay. Uh, train jujitsu. And, uh, and I say that as like a, it's funny because I, I love it, but for the physical component, being able to handle yourself as well as the stress inoculation, um, I train jiu-jitsu as often as I can every week and I get choked out repeatedly and I have my arms bent in ways they shouldn't be. And beyond the physical benefits of that, I'm able to be more comfortable under pressure situations. That's and huge. Oh, my God. It's, that's such a huge point. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, absolutely. Being comfortable under stress and that is... Um, yeah an incredible and necessary trait for any police officer. So what would I recommend? I would recommend doing that, obviously getting yourself into great physical shape, really being honest with your loved one about your, or if you have loved ones, um, about the, about the fact that you're going to be going into shift work and what that's going to look like and, um, the way that you need them to support you. So that might be not having their friends around when you're on night shift sleeping. It's a real, 
it's a real family affair. You know, you can't be, it's, I guess it's selfish in a way. Um, you need, you need that support from your partner. Otherwise it's not going to work, uh, to be completely honest. You, know, you need your sleep. Um, and sometimes you need your space to deal with things. Um, so yeah, so train jujitsu, have the conversations that need to be had in regards to, uh, being able to prepare for what you're going to see. I'm not sure whether that's possible, uh, but understand that you are going to see some crazy things and they are just events. Try and find ways that you're able to cope with stresses in your life already, you know, and they might even be playing video games. Like I'm a super nerd. That is a, that's another big part of, of uh, my decompression strategy. I'm playing video games. I'm not thinking about anything else. So find what works for you because um, what works for me might not work for you, but there's something that's going to work for you. And there's going to be a time that you're going to need to be able to, uh, sorry, that you're going to need to be able to decompress from some gnarly stuff that you're going to see. So, yeah. And otherwise it's a great career. It's a great career. I love my job. Uh, I work the best people I've ever met on this planet. Um, I've met either from work or through work. Um, so it's a great job. And if you do get injured, there's only one person to see for your, uh, for your random, random strains and bumps and injuries. That's you. <laughs> no matter where you are in the world. Doesn't matter. I don't care if you're posted. I don't care if you're posted to far North Queensland, you jump on a plane, you come see Jackie at B3 and you head back. And then see Matt for some BJJ. And, Absolutely. Uh, you without, are sorted. Without any doubt. My, my, my parents who live uh, in another country and my dad has seen you and he's, he hasn't been to anyone else. He said there's no point. There's, <laughs> globally, so you're a global sensation. Oh, that's sensational. <laughs> <laughs> very kind. Very kind. Um, I really loved what you just said um, besides the compliments about me um, before then was the decompression strategy. I think that's so huge. And, and one that's, I mean, I think people need to take on board across the board, not just shift working, but you know, in our lives in general, how to, how to learn to, you know, find the things that work for us so that we can decompress, so to speak. So yeah. That was awesome. Sam, you're awesome. Thank you so, so much for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me on board. I had a great time, Jackie. How good was that? Make sure you go check out Sam's Instagram account and website on The Path because it's designed not only for shift workers, but also for people who are focused on leading a better life. The On The Path motto is adopt, adapt and redevelop the ideas and strategies to best suit your lifestyle and shift work. Thank you so much for listening in today. It is an honor and I truly appreciate you. If today's podcast has helped you in any way, please leave a review and tell your friends and of course, subscribe. You can also head over to the show notes where you can find all the links mentioned in today's podcast. Have a spectacular day and here's to a world of bodies built better.